Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Okay, so this is Brandon Colby-Cook and... And I'm Evan Schulte. And we're doing a little podcast here, and it's our first one, so this uh, this podcast, we're just going to figure it out as we go, and it started because uh, we've, we've been having all these really deep talks about art and creativity and stuff like that, and we thought, you know, well, it'd be really amazing if we could let people almost sit in on these conversations, and so that's what we did. We decided to start a podcast and share this with you. So hopefully you like it. Yeah. So uh, we don't quite know exactly where uh, this is going to be going exactly. Uh, Brennan and I have uh, known each other for what, like ten years, at probably, least. Yeah, at least. ten years, and uh, knew each other as actors, and then uh, working together, uh, writing, and working on projects like that together. And yeah, like. Brandon said, we we get into these conversations, and we thought, hey, maybe we should let some people in on this. So it could be some elements of we might talk about story, we might not talk about story, we <laughs> might talk about just life, what's going on with each other. So um, let's do it. Yeah, uh, actually, you know, I think maybe we should just tell them a little history about ourselves. You know, like uh, we're both actors, screenwriters. Uh, I think um, one of the things that Evan and I always connect on is uh, a lot with storytelling. We've written a few scripts together now, and um, we also, a lot of our talks tend to be pretty philosophical, I think. So, you know, we get into stuff just about, like, I don't know, living living the life that, you know, you want to live and really being uh, true to yourself as an artist. Actually, it's one of the big things that I, I really like about what you usually bring to the table, Evan, is, like, always talking about authenticity and your integrity with your art and, and maintaining that. And I think that, you know, that there's not, there's not always a resource for people to have something like that. So I think, um, that's one thing Evan will probably really bring to the table. Well, just at, almost as a, as a side note to that, you know, I almost, I almost feel like, uh, it's, I always find it funny when you say that to me, cause you've said that to me on a number of occasions and, and, and I'm always, I, I, and I, I truly appreciate it. And I think one of the reasons why it might come up a lot is because I feel in, in a lot of ways it's something that I, I struggle with. Mm. You know, so for someone to say that, it's just like, oh, like, you just do this. And it's just like, well, it's not like I just do this. It's it's something that I I, I battle with, mm. you know, on, on a day-to-day basis with whether it's acting, writing, or other facets of my life. It's just like, it's to always be mindful of, am I, am I acting? Am I behaving in a way that I feel is to my own integrity and to my own authenticity? And sometimes I'm not, you know, but like, I'm always, it's, I'm, I'm always trying to do that. So, yeah, no, that's good. I, thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, actually that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I guess, you know, what you're struggling with, um, yeah, you know, I think that's I think that's a big thing too is, you know, especially like I mean, the reason why I just notice it with you is like there's lots of times we'll have conversations and I find that sometimes um, you know, a lot of the advice you get out there in the world is just kind of quick to like, you know, just do the thing or whatever um 
But I think, like, you know, as far as, like, an actor or a writer, you know, um, thinking about the types of stories that... What, what's the type of story you want to tell? Just because it's going to be commercially viable or whatever, or just because you're going to make some money doing this acting role, is that really what you want to do, you know? And you might still do it, but the thing is, is, like, at least you're checking in with yourself and looking and go, well, you know, who am I... What, why am I doing this, you know? And I think, um, you know... Well, just for example, one of the projects we've been working on, Evan and I, is uh, the townsfolk. And so, I don't know, how long has that been? It's been a few years of progress. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, we've been working on that one for a long time. Yeah, and so, like, uh, oh, there's the dump truck in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that we're in a high-end studio here. Um, <clears throat> but uh, anyway... Um, with the townsfolk, you know, when we first started writing that script, we, it was a horror film and we were writing it, you know, we were writing it to, uh, to basically sell, you know, and make some money out of it. And so our first initial draft was pretty cliche in a certain sense, you know, and that was, I think that, and that was our second or was that our third? That was our second together. That was our second. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We, we wrote another, um, kind of an OC, I'm not going to say piece of garbage, but <laughs> <laughs> there's some good there were some good ideas in there, but it definitely uh, it it reeked of of at least for myself somebody who was writing a script yeah a screenplay for the first time it was yeah. just like oh man there well, are so many cliches in here like it was nothing it was like it was like a linking of like one cliche to the next yeah in a weird <laughs> with, way with a couple of little sprouts of like a couple of little gems of something that was original yeah in it right <laughs> but it what was interesting i think maybe that was one of the things that i learned from writing that script was uh was identifying that stuff was yeah. being able to go oh wow like the parts that i like the most are actually the ones that are the most original, mm-hmm. you know, the most, uh, uh, creative parts that we, that we came up with. Yeah. And the stuff that I didn't like was all the stuff that I'd seen before. I'd seen before in other TV shows, other movies. And, uh, and, and I think maybe that's where, uh, yeah, that was an important lesson to learn mm-hmm. from that, that script. So, whether anything ever happened with that one. It was called Tag, by the way. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> the townsfolk's the second one. Tag was the first one. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and and I learned a lot from, from Tag in that respect. But yeah, so getting back to it, townsfolk, second script. Yeah, well, and also <laughs> Tag, I mean, we started writing that in like nine years ago. I mean, we wrote that script uh, nine years ago, and it was like, you know, it was one of the first features that I ever wrote, I think, uh, and... It was actually, I remember you came into, because we were a part of an acting class, seven and I, you came in there and you were, uh, you know, we were, we would go out and have drinks afterwards, all of us, and you kept talking about this idea where you thought it'd be really cool if there was a party and every time, like, it followed a character until that character physically touched another character in any way whatsoever, and then it transferred and you started following the character that they touched. And so uh, Evan and I had written this story together, um, which was basically about this party uh, of these high school kids that were graduating and you're following one character and as one interacts with the next one you'd follow the next character and it was seamless that was one of the best things about that script I think yeah is it actually seamlessly moves from one character to the next and you almost 
Like, and everything's justified that way. I mean, I think the scenes and certain things that we did were a little cliche. But yeah, but it was all, it was all like real time. It was mm-hmm. like you were at a party. I think the script came in at around like 70 or 75 pages, yeah. which is probably a good length for something like that anyhow. Especially today, yeah. Yeah, um, and some of the, some of the cool elements of it too was, um, the way that these, was the way that the stories, uh, interacted with each other, mm-hmm. you know, the way that you would watch something develop and then one person you watch and then they would come back again later, they would be tagged and you would see them again. And the story was evolving. Mm-hmm. Like, and you were watching everybody's sort of journey in a, in a way like, you know, there's been like, I think of something like uh, can't hardly wait, which yeah. was a coming of age house party kind of thing. Uh, and it definitely had some elements of that in the story, but it, it, there, I I like to think there was something almost a little bit more rooted Mm -hmm. about, about tag just because of the way that you were engaging with it as an audience member. Yeah. Uh, which was, again, that was probably one of the things about the story that I thought was one of the best parts about it. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's like, uh, you're saying earlier too, like there is a lot of stuff. I mean, we wrote it nine years ago. We're just beginning as screenwriters and a lot of it was cliche. Um, but it's funny cause I pick that script up every now and then and I read a scene or two and I'm like, this is pretty funny stuff, you know? Um, and there was some, I think some really genuine moments. And I think, I remember when we went to do a rewrite of it, like, I think we finished that script within a year and then we did a rewrite or something like that. Or maybe we did the rewrite within the year. I don't know. Yeah. We did it pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I remember that last scene, you know, it was like the guy and the girl make up and they kiss or whatever. And that was one of those scenes where it was just like, yeah, you know, you've seen this a thousand times, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Like as I'm talking, I'm thinking like, yeah, anybody who's like trying to write a story can probably really benefit from these types of lessons because, you know, just that's one thing is like to to not pull all your creativity from stuff you've already seen but maybe dare to imagine something a little bit different or like how has it been real in your life you know because I think it's really you know that saying like um uh what is it um fiction is is crazier than non-fiction or what's, oh, that, what's that saying <laughs> in fact is fact is crazier than fiction I yeah believe. something yeah. like that yeah and anyway i mean that's true right because i think that we look to movies like they're i think the best movies are stuff that takes things from life a lot of the time and it and it puts it in there and it's not it's out of context compared to how it happened in real life but you know i think also just daring and trying something different often can really lead to a great script you know, that's something we've been finding, especially yeah. with the townsfolk. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, like there's definitely things to be learned from watching what has been done. Uh, even I watched a video recently of John Cleese talking about, uh, he's like stealing ideas, which he says like, or taking inspiration <laughs> from something is like, it's like, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, look at the stuff that you really like. Yeah. And, uh, he even recommended, he's like, and watch it, like watch a scene that you love, like over and over and over and over and over and over again until you don't even have an emotional attachment to it anymore. Because once that has happened, you actually start to see how they did what they did. And then, you know, try to do something like that. And then once you've done that, you'll start to see, you'll actually start to find your own voice within it Mm. as well. Yeah, that's good. So I thought that was an interesting point, but, um, I feel like we've 
we've we've strayed. <laughs> oh no! I mean, Where do we go? Well, I guess we can stray wherever we want. Who knows? Yeah, yeah you know, whatever. I mean, I think uh, I think I don't know. Let's just talk about storytelling. I think that seems to be on our minds right now. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, I was thinking about the townsfolk and uh, this is something that I was thinking about as you're talking is like, you know, that first draft. So basically townsfolk, the initial draft that we wrote was about this group of kids who are a bit, it's, it's, it's going to sound very cliche because yeah. it was, um, but these kids are on a road trip. They end up, um, there's this woman who's basically, I think initially she was hitchhiking, but then we changed it where she was on the side of the road and her boyfriend was like hits her as they drive by. Yeah. And so these guys, there's like three guys and a girl, they get out of the car and they stop and they confront him and they, and they end up helping her out and driving her home. And then when they end up going back to her little town, um, she's been kind of like, uh, you know, they end up finding out that there's something really messed up going on in this town. They, they don't really know what, but they find out something is weird here. And then as they go through the story, um, you know, they find out that this family, her family is very messed up and they're like clearly up to no good. And, uh, one of their friends goes missing and then they start to realize that it's not just this family. It's the whole town. It's this big cult that they've been basically taken into and they have very bad intentions. Yeah. So that was the initial draft. And I think a lot of people really liked it. We did that table read before we went down to LA. Yeah, no, it was, it was, um, like it was solid. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like it was, it was a solid script is a solid script. Um, but like, I mean, we're, we're talking about it. We're, we're currently rewriting yeah. the script, um, and making some pretty aggressive changes to it. <laughs> well, you know, we've made a, a lot of aggressive changes. I mean, from that first draft, because I don't know if you remember, uh, Charles, that, um, director from, Tiff or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his, he actually, he actually said, you know, that, because it's a horror film, he said, you know, this is a, it's, it's great in the sense that it's like a nightmare because you just end up in this situation you don't expect. And, um, you know, he gave us some really good feedback and he gave us some advice and then we reworked it. And then, uh, and then Gabe came around and Gabe kind of gave us, uh, some pretty good feedback. And it was interesting because I think you and I were both a little dissatisfied with the script. You know, there was this sense of like, it was really thrilling, but it wasn't like very horrific. And you know what part of it, I think for me that I'm realizing is that my dissatisfaction came from a part of, but what is, what is really original about it? Mm -hmm. You know, like we, we did like, yeah, there were some, there were some things, but there was still very much a part of. The, of its structure, the way that we were still setting certain, certain things up that I was just like, well, we haven't really broken too much from the mold here, you know? And, and it's, and it's important to be aware of what those things are because sometimes you can play right into it. Like you can play right into the stereotype as long as you know, you're intentionally doing it, you're mm-hmm. doing it for a reason. But if you're just falling into it, yeah. When you fall into a cliche, that's when it, I think it becomes, it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there was still some things that we had fallen into with it, as opposed to a deliberate conscious choice to, to go like, no, we're going into the stereotype on this one. And yeah. there's a reason for it. 
Well, you know, like, what I liked about it, Evan, was I liked the fact that when you get into the town, you don't realize that it's the whole town that's in on it, and that discovery, and then the whole thing about getting trapped into their world, and this whole world they have hidden. I like that element of it. But what I didn't like about it was when we would pitch it or talk about it, and we talk about how these kids were on a road trip, and how they got caught in this town, and I just, every time we said that, I was like, I hate that. That just sounds like every other horror movie. Yeah. And it bothered me so much. And, like, the newest draft, which we can talk about in a, in a minute or so, but um, I think it might be interesting to share with everyone the progression of how this script has come to the point it is, because we actually pitched this movie down at uh, AFM, which is the American Film Market, in front of 300 people at the pitch conference. And, um, you know, and I think, and we also did a table read of that that first draft, and and it was really well received. So I think that this script had a lot of potential, but the thing was, you know, it's the difference between something that's good and something that's great. And I think you and I, you know, we, I remember we sat down afterwards, we reconnected, uh, about this script, I think a a year or so. Yeah. About like last year. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, uh, you know, we decided to like, um, you know, we decided to rework it after we got those notes and, and that was interesting because we were like, okay, well, how do we really take this into something else? And the next draft which we added the demonic element, right? That was the next one? Yeah, yeah. We started uh, basically just exploring some new avenues that we could take it to to add a, a new element or something that was maybe a little bit more original than some of the concepts and the devices, I suppose, yeah. that we were using in... Yeah, in that draft and seeing how we could maybe do something even more unusual and more... You know, and I th- yeah. I'm thinking about that, and I think that was born out of the fact that there's this one sequence in uh, in the original draft, which was the one that we took down to LA and pitched and all that, which was she wakes up, because she's basically one of the characters gets trapped in this basement. She's starved and she's sleep deprived and all that, and she basically wakes up on this beach in Mexico and you start to go, Oh, this whole thing, like they actually made it to Mexico and this whole thing has been a nightmare. And then you start to realize very slowly and gradually that in Mexico, she's having a nightmare because all these weird things happen. And and it's my favorite scene of that whole draft. And I think that was what got us to go, why don't we take that idea and make that kind of a little bit more of the whole script? Because I remember when she, uh, we outlined this thing and she was walking down the road and she's seeing all this stuff and the little girl is like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. You want to film in on that? Well, um, yeah. Uh, okay. So there's, I feel like there's so many evolutions that happened in, in between <laughs> those points that there's a, that's a lot of ground to cover. But, um, yeah. So there was the original dream sequence where suddenly it's, it was, uh, you thought it's like, oh, none of this stuff has been happening, but then it starts falling apart, and you go, it's like, oh, this is not what I think it is, and so we started to play up on that, uh, and just to be like, oh, this is like a, a demonic world, and then there's this figure that's trying to like help her through this, right? Yeah, like, it was th- like that's little, what you're talking about. Yeah, because we added a little a little girl into the story. It was someone that because what horror story is complete without some little girl? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, I mean, basically it was 
it was like her or something as a little girl or something like that. But this little girl was basically giving her clues. And at first she didn't know if she could trust the little girl. But then as she ends up kind of finding out more, she starts to realize that this, whenever this little girl, and this little girl's imagined, she's not real, but um, she is kind of trying to help her because, uh, oh, we went, we, we, uh, and when they get trapped in the basement for this one area, we tried playing with different tortures. And one of the tortures we were working with was, um, what's that one called? Oh, sensory deprivation. Yeah. Which, uh, apparently is a tactic that, like, this CIA still uses. Yeah. Um, in secrecy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, basically sensory deprivation, you know, you have, uh, basically these mitts on your hands, you're tied to a chair, um, you're basically in the darkness, you have a mask over you, you it basically the whole idea is to cut off all your senses. Yeah, you can't hear, can't see, you can't touch or feel, and... You and can't even touch your own fingers, so you couldn't even feel your own fingers, like, yeah. everything, so, so you just, it's hard to, be without these senses, the whole idea is that it's hard to even feel like you exist, and it's, considered i think the number two after waterboarding like worst tortures in the yeah world. yeah at least are ones that are still being i don't know if waterboarding is still done but that's a whole different subject i'm sure it is. um <laughs> yeah. um but yeah no i think they say like something like within within like 36 or 48 hours or something people like doesn't really matter who you are if you're subjugated to that you will start hallucinating mm-hmm. like you will your mind is just going to start building, building things around you because you're losing your mind, essentially. You have no, like, physical world to cling to. And so, basically, she's been locked in this thing for so long now. She's, she's created hallucinations. So, it's hard for her to tell the difference between reality and, uh, reality in her dream world. And that's how this little girl is kind of born and other things are born out of it. And, and then I think at first it was just the sensory deprivation, but then we added in the demon element and we, we kind of kept layering it in. And so then you have this character with, there's the demonic element, which is going on, which is hard to even tell the reality of that. And then you have this hallucination. So it's hard to even tell, like, am I hallucinating or is this the demon? And then it, and that's, that made it pretty scary. That was, yeah. Like it was definitely as we were outlining this concept to bring into the story, it, it definitely, it brought in this element of, at least we felt, I mean, the audience will never, ever really see this, <laughs> which is the, which is the next part to this story, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, but that it created this sense that we, we felt that the, in the audience that as a, as a moviegoer, as an, as a viewer, you would have absolutely no concept of what was going on, you wouldn't even know what to believe yourself mm-hmm. and what you were watching. The character didn't was would not know really if what they were seeing was real or not, and neither would you. Yeah, uh, and that was really cool. Yeah, and that then, was really cool. And don't forget, in this current draft too, not only was this demon existing, but the whole cult was basically the whole reason why this cult was born was to basically um, have this demon thing, you know. Um, and it was worshiping it and it was like basically delivering people to it and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. And I think what we ultimately came to with that draft was we were like, it's, it's good and, and there, and it's unique. And I think any of these could work. I think they would be good, but I think what we ultimately came to is it wasn't scary enough. Right. Yeah. That was really the issue. Yeah. And we moved to the witch thing. Or at least we didn't have, um, 
Yeah, we didn't have... I don't know what it was. I mean, we decided to leave it. You know, we decided to leave it, but we never really found something within that that element of the demon that were that was compelling enough. I don't think for us, like there, were, it brought some elements, but it wasn't quite enough for this particular story. Yeah, and you know what? I remember now we decided to drop the demon thing because I remember we were sitting at uh, Brass Neck or whatever, which is uh, by the way, we're going to talk about beers too throughout these, cause, <laughs> and we're drinking uh, from Thirty Three Acres Euphoria, which is awesome. Yes. Belgian triple. It is fantastic. Evan turned me on to it. It's got, what, 9% alcohol? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a sneaky yep. one. you got to watch out for it. <laughs> <laughs> three glasses and you'll be stumbling down the stairs. Yeah. Um, These three glasses too fast. <laughs> but anyway, so we would we would go to, uh, we changed up, because we'll write at a cafe or whatever, but we changed up our location. I remember us sitting down and we thought, you know what? We're, we're re- we have to rewrite basically the whole story. Let's go back. And it's funny because the next draft we did, we ended up rewriting the whole thing anyway because we went with the whole cult idea and we decided to take it because originally the first draft was in this small Texas town. And we thought, you know, Texas was kind of a cliche place to have a horror film, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all that other stuff. And so we decided to make it kind of more in this rural uh, area of like, West we thought Coast, it could, yeah, it could be West Coast, or it could be like Montana, mm-hmm. like some sort of, uh, yeah, like a mountain forested, or like yeah, we were we were heading into a different different concept in with location, right? And um, we decided instead of making the these this group of people on a road trip to basically party in Mexico, which was and that is cliche. Right. Um, you know, basically the, these kids who were headed from like basically Colorado, they were headed down, they passed through Texas to go to into Mexico to do their partying for spring break. That was the initial draft. This complete with, you know, the jock and the party guy and (laughs) like, like we, we just dove right into, (laughs) into those like archetypes basically. Anyhow, continue. And and you know what? I think I just want to give a side note because, you know, it wasn't like, because we originally wrote this first draft to sell it. And, uh, one of my friends had sold a a, a horror film not long before you and I started writing this and he got paid 50 grand and his, uh, horror film was like really, really weak, you know, and and, and in case you're listening, just, just, no, and, and, I, I'm not worried about him listening because he and I had a lot of talks about it. He actually changed his name on the script. Um, so I won't mention who he is just because he didn't want to be accredited actually with this horror film. Cause you know, it was, but he, he knew he would get paid. It was a 25 50 deal. He got $25,000 up front. And then upon the completion of, I think it was the second or third draft. And then also the agreement to be there on set while it was shot. He got his completion for his 50. So he got $50,000. And I think that was the initial motivation for you and I. We thought, well, let's write a horror film and let's get, you know, whatever. So I think going to one of those indie companies, we could have, you know, we could have probably gotten a similar type of thing, you know, with the draft we already had. But I think for you and I, it it was ultimately like, well, what's worth more? Is it worth more? Even if we sold the script for less, it was worth more to us to actually make something that was important. And I think that was the talk we had. I think that's why we ended up rewriting it. We decided to, but, um, anyway, so we had these cliche things and they would have worked on a very like, you know, straight to video, video on demand type of horror film. 
And so a lot of these rewrites were like, how do we take this to the next level? How do we make this something that's maybe one of those horror films that people, you know, is a classic that people refer to. And so, yeah. Or at the very least that, that, you know, uh, a horror film aficionado might go in and see and be like, actually that one was like, that one was pretty good. That was right. Like, that one did some things that like, I really liked. Yeah. And so I think that's where the pushing came from. So in, so our initial draft was yes, cliche, but it, it was written to do that. And I think that's one of the things that we were talking about when we started this conversation was that for all the people who are writing screenplays or thinking about telling a story is that, you know, if you're going to, if if you really want to write something to sell it, then really be committed to that idea. I think you and I like the idea of writing something and making some money, but at the end of the day, when we faced ourselves, it really wasn't what we wanted to do, you know? And I think that we kept, you know, we kept kind of having internal conflict about that because, you know, I think, and it's I, I, like anyone who wants to go and write their script and make a bunch of money that that's fine. I, like, I, I don't think there's, I don't think any less of anyone who's doing yeah, that. No, like think, you said, like, but commit to that. Yeah. Commit to that. Commit to that. And I think you and I both basically agreed that we just, we had initially committed to that and we, ch- and we both changed our minds. Had one of us not, I think we would have gone forward and tried to sell it and gone that way. Yeah. But I think we were both just at a point where we're like, no, let's make it into something more. And so then the next draft that we moved to was this Montana, you know, Oregon forested area. And it was about this one character who was basically one of the main characters. There's Jane and Brian who are basically the main characters. And, um, we wanted Brian to be going and looking for his family. We just, you know, there was this plot line about him being kind of an orphan and not really having a family. And so his friends were his closest people and he finds out that his his mother had left this small town and he wants to go back and kind of find out his family history. That was the next draft that we did. Yeah. And yeah. they drive down this road and they're going there and they get there and the road stops. And so they park the car for the night and they decide to camp. And they get hijacked in the middle of the night by a woman yeah. with a gun. Yeah, some woman just comes out of the woods in the middle of the night with a gun, takes their car, takes their stuff, disappears... And they're brought into this town because there's other people who are out there. Uh, and one of them has been, has actually been shot. One of them has been injured. One of the main group, uh, James is the character. Yeah. So he's actually been shot. So they're, they're, they've camped basically there. It's the middle of the night. And one of their, <clears throat> one of the guys tried to stop this woman with the gun. She shot him. Um, not, didn't, not lethal, but she steals their car and she drives away. And so they're stranded in the middle of this forest. They have a, a person who shot with them, one of their friends and some other people come out of the bush and they're, and these people are very suspicious of our main characters. So, you know, but they decide to, to help because somebody is actually injured. Right. So then the group ends up like in the sound, there's no real road to Mm -hmm. exactly no main road to get to you basically have to like go in on foot right uh and there's yeah like this weird sort of uh and then that's where we got kind of like jonestowny you know like like you got like all of these houses that are built like sort of the same and everyone's like wearing like white linens and clothes and stuff like that it's like obvious from the outset that this is this is some kind of a cult or a commune or whatever you want to call it. And that was the thing. We decided let's not have this group of people hide the fact that people consider them a cult. Let's have them just own that and be like, yeah, you know, like we, we, 
are a subculture. We, you know, some people call us a cult, you know, um, and they're not, they're not hiding it. They're not like, they're not denying it or whatever, which gives you this. And the, and, um, the first few nights that the characters are there while their friend is healing are, you know, there's, they're just a really good, peaceful group of people. And, um, you know, you're really, um, it really actually as a viewer, I think you're like, this would be awesome in a way to like end up here. And then, you know, you leave, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the characters can leave at any point they want. There's really, everything's fine. And the, and the cult doesn't want to keep them at that point. Yeah. But it's when they find out that Brian, his mother was actually one of the members who left. And that's when things get a little bit tricky because they kind of want Brian to stay. They don't really care if everyone else leaves so much, but they want Brian to stay. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's when things kind of get a little bit tricky. Right. I remember for, with that draft, with that outline that we were creating for it, we, we actually created a really interesting, um, like family, uh, family story surrounding that. Mm -hmm. Like we had, um, like this whole thing where we thought it's like, you know what? Like we could, we even, we were discussing at one point that we could, uh, we could even do a prequel to this where we, where we got into this family's history and where they all came from. Uh, Ultimately we ended up scrapping the idea, at least for this particular script well, Although there's something about that one story that we came up with that I was just like, oh, you know, we could, that, that, that could be written like that, that is a good, that is an interesting story. Yeah. I, I was, but I became more interested in the family story mm-hmm. as opposed to the story that was happening in, in the events that we were actually, that we were actually going to write a script from. Right. So I think that's why we probably abandoned it mm-hmm. was we were just like, you know what? This is not, this is not really resting on the bones of, of the script that we had originally set out to write. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why we, we decided to change paths and go, we tried to go, we wanted to go a bit back to where we were, but the, I think the thing we kept running into was that we were writing something that was a little bit more of a thriller again. It wasn't, we kept, I, and this is something I wanted to talk about. We kept running into the thriller. And I, and although I think all of these concepts were very thrilling, we were never really, I don't think, fully successful at writing a horror film, which was part of the problem. You know, it was horrific at certain points, but it never had that and this was this was my concern throughout the whole thing, and I think why what I kept bringing to the table was I was like, yeah, but I'm not really scared, you know. And I want to I want to create I want to figure out how to do this thing. Like, how do we really scare the audience? You know, because yeah. that's what I want. And um, and I think that's how we ended up on the next draft. And uh, before we get into that, you know, as a as a movie um, that was actually recommended to me, I was talking to you about it. It's called The Following, and it's on Netflix right now. <laughs> and it's about, basically, it's about this woman who sleeps with this guy, and it's kind of a weird concept, but it's like a sexually transmitted uh, ghost. So what happens is, if you sleep with someone, and they transfer this ghost to you, this ghost follows you very slowly, but it just follows you until it gets you, and then it will kill you. So you're and it's uh, a terrifying movie. <laughs> I just watched it last night. It's a terrifying movie because you do not understand the bad guy. You just don't understand it. And it's not of this world. And I think the the reason why we kept running into problems was because we were trying to make a horror of this world. And 
something that I've discovered since then is that a horror movie needs a certain amount of you. It's, it's really nearly impossible to understand it. And I think when you try to, and we tried to make a horror out of the real world. And I think if you do that, it always becomes thriller because we're just too aware as a, as a human race at this point. Like, um, I mean, maybe like, maybe there's exceptions like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but in a way you don't really understand that family. You know what I mean? So it kind of made it horrific. But like with this, the following, it's weird because she'll be just sitting there in a classroom and then she'll look through the window and you just see this person and it's just walking towards you. And it's, and then she leaves the classroom and then she looks down the hallway and this thing is just slowly walking towards her. You know what I mean? And one of the crazy things that they do with this, with this monster is the guy tells her, he's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's been following me forever. He's like, you just, it's, it's always like being a place where there's two exits or whatever. And sometimes it will come at you as someone you love and, and it changes form. So it's just like, sometimes it'll be like a good looking woman who's like, you know, bearing her breasts or whatever, but she's not really like, sometimes it'll be an old lady um, one point it was like a little kid. Another point it was like a tall guy. Another point it was like this guy's mom. So like he thought it was his mom walking towards him, you know? So it's like, Ugh. so did everybody like, it didn't matter. Like, did he pass it on to her and then he didn't have to deal with it anymore? No, or? that's the thing. This is the really, so this is kind of the context of the story. And I don't want to give away too much in case people want to watch it, but he gives it to her. Now she needs to give it to someone else and then it won't follow her. Oh, okay. But if that person gets killed, by this thing, it will start following her again. So you need, so you almost need the person you sleep with to keep sleeping with other people so that it goes really far down the line. Right. So that, and those people need to know about it because if they don't know about it, it'll kill them without them realizing it. You know what I mean? So, um, it's kind of like, uh, so this guy who gave it to her, he had clearly like in the story, um, he had clearly been carrying it for a long time and he tried to get rid of it. Right. But whatever happens, it will always go back to the first person who had it. So it'll kill everyone back unless that person's dead. I don't know what happens. Right. But um, anyway, without ruining the story, it, you know, just imagine you have this thing that's following you and there's an ethical problem, right? Because now she has to pass it on to someone or she just gets killed by, or she runs from it for the rest of her life. And um, the, the good dilemma. Yeah good dilemma. And you don't know where it comes from. You don't understand it. It, it. it doesn't come the same way at you every time. All you know is that it will walk towards you. It'll follow you and it will walk. It just walks. But when it gets you and you, you do at some point see what it does, um, it's not good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But it, but I think, <laughs> I think the thing that you and I have been really trying to achieve with this movie is playing on the innocence, like the whole thing about people's trust, you know, because, uh, you know, I've had so many discussions, but like, for example, like movies like The Ring and things like that, where there's like a little kid or whatever, a lot of the time, what's so scary about a lot of these movies is that you trust the very thing that, you know, when it gets you, that's like, uh, The Shining, for example, you know, mm. there's this, there, and, and when that trust gets betrayed, that in a way, that's kind of what's so scary about it, you know, because if you already know, like, um, if, if you can kind of predict it or you understand it, it's not so scary. And I think that was the problem we were running into is that certain things were, you were, it was too easy to understand them once, but once you can't understand it, I think that's how we bled into this next draft, which is, 
it, we made, we wanted to make the bad guy or the, the antagonist something that was a lot harder to understand. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that was a huge lesson that we learned. Cause yeah, we, we kept on coming up with concepts that we realized were more of the thriller genre. We were even, uh, given indirectly that feedback when we pitched our script at AFM yeah. from that, I don't know if he was still an executive or if he was a former executive at like one of the big, big yeah. studios. Uh, and I remember him saying to us, just like, well, if you're, if you have a horror, like really pitch us the horror, right? like really, really hit us with it kind of thing. And, uh, and it was like, oh, okay, that's, that's really interesting. So it was like, okay, we'll make sure that, you know, for this, we'll, we'll, we'll amp up the horror element. And then it was like, yeah, but then you realize that that's actually kind of a small part of what we had actually written. Yeah. Uh, so I think the, uh, an important thing that we learned and, and, uh, I kind of touched on this phrase earlier, but with horror, you've got to like, I, I think we learned that you've got to really lean into it yes. as a genre. It's like, you can't like, yeah, you can, you can do things to make it a little bit more like there's like, there's definitely intelligent horror film. Absolutely. It's just that there's a whole lot of, I think, very dumb horror film, yeah. you know, like it's, you can still write it intelligently while still delivering these things that, are almost requirements for the genre, Mm -hmm. you know, but you've got to go for it. Like you've got to go for the scare. You've got to, even, even the comedy I'm discovering in writing for horror, it's like, you've got to play into the, into this kind of almost this type of, of humor Mm -hmm. that's in horror as well. Like you can't really pussyfoot around that stuff. It's just like, you can still do it in an original manner, but you can't ignore it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I think it was, I think it was Hitchcock. I think it was him, but yeah, about talking about how like people can only handle a certain amount of tension yeah, and it's why you need to release it. Um, and that's, that's why comedy is so important in a horror, um, where there's these moments of lightness and, you know, actually one of the movies that like, um, you know, Evan and I, one of our big movies was Wolf Creek, which I think is probably one of the best, one of the best horror, you know, and it's a horror movie, but it's a thriller movie, um, which is based on a true story. It's about this group of kids that are in Australia, and they basically, I don't know if I want to, anyway, uh, some really bad stuff happens. Let's just put it <laughs> bad stuff happens. It's a really good movie. The way they set up the context of the movie with their partying, they're having fun, and then what it leads to and what they wake up into is just... You know, the less you know, the better it is if you watch that story, but it's... An allegedly true story. Allegedly true. And, um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think that was a big inspiration for us from the beginning was to, you know... And I think, like, when you look at Wolf Creek, part of the reason why that's so scary is because it's an allegedly true story. I think when, you know, that's part of what makes it work so well. I think when you almost make it up and people don't have that truth, it's not quite as scary because it's kind of like everyone knows that it's made up. But when you say this is based on true events or this is based on a true story, it's, you know, it's kind of like, well, that like person is out there, you know, or that, that thing is out there. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that with horror films, it's a little, it's just what I've discovered. It's just a little, it's not impossible. It's just a little more tricky if you make it in the real world. 
And you really have to play with the audience's expectation a lot. But I think in this new draft, which, um, which we've gone is, I don't know how much should we tell, tell them about it? Well, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, we, there's, there's still things for us to discover within the rewrite as we're in the process of it all. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying is that like when you're, when you're really trying to base all of the elements of your story within reality and what we just know physically to be true, you know, of what's truly right in front of us and, and this and that, like, I don't think horror is impossible, but it does make it more difficult. Like when you look at something like Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. A lot of people think that's a horror, but it's I'm not so sure. I think it's more of a thriller. Absolutely. It's like it has a lot of the elements, has the violence, it has the grotesqueness, it has, yeah, like a creepiness and something that you don't understand right. about it. You know, like the mind of, of somebody you don't really understand. And you start to understand it more towards the end and then it becomes more of an action thing. And, but again, yeah, it's more of a thriller well, than anything. I think that's such an important point that you're bringing up right now, because the, the thing that people, uh, maybe on the other end, like people who are very like familiar with the genre and how important that is in getting a movie bought and sold and made and distributed, it's, it's vitally important. And with the difference between a thriller and a horror can sometimes be very close, but it's a very important distinction to make because you're appealing to an entirely different audience. Like the, the, the audience that's watching Silence of the Lambs isn't watching necessarily House of a Thousand Corpses. At least the House of a Thousand Corpses might appreciate Silence of the Lambs, but I would be surprised if a lot of Silence of the Lambs fans really enjoyed House of a Thousand Corpses, yeah. which is an entire, like House of a Thousand Corpses is clearly a horror, right? Yeah. Whereas Silence of the Lambs is definitely more of a thriller, but with horrific elements. And you need to, if you wrote Silence of the Lambs and you pitched it like a horror, you would do yourself a huge disservice because people would not um, frame the, the story they're about to hear in the right context. You need to tell them that it's a thriller when you explain it to them so that they understand that. Yeah. And, um, I think the problem we ran into the townsfolk is that we were, we, we thought we were writing a horror and we went down to American film market and we realized we were actually writing a thriller and had written a thriller, had written a thriller. And you know, what was really interesting. I don't know if you remember this, but you remember that small production company came up and approached and they wanted to actually like buy the film from us and like, you know, but they were small and we decided to hold out on that. Um, but you know, the thing is, is that, um, we, we went into a pitch, pitching the movie with the wrong genre and that created a confusion in the room. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. It was interesting because people like, it's interesting because people were really like, they were liking the writing. They were liking the story. They're liking the character develop as, as cliche as Evan and I are talking about it. One thing that we did really well, which I remember is we wanted to make the characters really smart. And so, yeah, if, you were in a situation, I think you would really appreciate the characters in this draft because they, when they were faced with a problem, they were like, okay, well, like they, they thought it out. They did the smart thing and they did the thing that you would probably do or I would probably do. Yeah. And then they still got into trouble. And that was really yeah, they one were thing all, we succeeded at. They were all smart and they were all capable. Yes. Which was one of the things that we knew we wanted to do 
before we even laid like a word <laughs> onto the page. Totally. We're like, yeah, no, let's make them make smart decisions. And we did that and we did it quite successfully. Uh, and yeah, I, it's, it's just interesting. I'm having new thoughts about this as we're discussing it because I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm starting to wrap my head around this genre even more and more and more mm-hmm. just because, um, and I'm trying to relay it to actual real world examples. Like when I think of something like, uh, like, you know, the original scream or something, yeah. definitely a horror film mm-hmm. that is based in reality. There's nothing supernatural that was going on in that. Um, whether how scary you actually thought the movie is, I don't know. Right. right? It's been a while since I've seen it, but the thing was, is that you still had an enemy that you didn't know who it was, what it was, you know, there was just this thing that was out there and it was terrorizing people. Yeah. And then at the end, when you find out who it all is, when all like all the, you know, the Scooby-Doo moment of, you know, the masks are off and everyone sees what's going on, it ceased to be a horror film. Yes. It completely disappears. Like, it's not scary anymore. No. It's now just like, okay, you know who it is and now it's just going to be who survives. Well, you know that the definition of fear is not knowing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and 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 actually, this is um, some some little notes for those writers on the other end of this. That if you want to create fear, people have to be, people have to not know. That's that's absolutely vital for fear to exist. If you want the audience to to cry from at least from a place of sadness, not joy sadness, but like actual defeated sadness, uh, sadness comes from the the basically when you realize you can't do anything about it. And, and uh, so if you think about when someone dies, or anger, you can't anger. Like well, anger, anger is a cover of fear. So it is anger, superficial. anger is superficial. Yeah. But it's still a very big emotion for yeah. us, fight or flight. Right. But anger is basically, it feels better than fear. And so then we choose anger because we still like, we feel like we could do something about it or we feel like we're going to armor up. And then sadness is, uh, from the sense of I'm defeated. Like when someone dies in your life and you can't do anything about it, there's grief and you feel sad. And that's because the reason why people cry, they say, is because you realize at that moment, there's nothing you can do. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You can't whatever. And a, and a human emotion is to feel sadness from that. So take that as you will as a writer, but that that's a way to actually influence the audience to feel emotion. And so one of the things that I think you bring up with the scream thing is, yeah, Um, once you know, the fear ceases to exist and it becomes about something else. But I think it holds out long enough so that you can enjoy it as a horror. Yeah. And then for that last bit, it doesn't matter anymore because you've already gotten what you've paid for, for the horror, you know, and you're into, you're into, what what do you call it? Thrilling? I guess action? Action thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Comedy. You know, the other thing too about that, there's style you know, in these shows, right? Definitely. If you look at Wolf Creek, um, the style of that is very serious. It's very real. It's very gritty. Um, whereas you look at the movie Scream, it has an entirely different style. There's a campiness to it. There's fun. They're playing They're you know, they're young kids. They're like, there's a bit of a goofball humor to it, which really works with it. Absolutely. Same thing with, um, 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 a newer one like Cabin in the Woods. Right. You know, like there was a certain campiness to mm-hmm. the whole thing, a certain tongue in cheek, you know, thing about the whole genre that they were doing. But they still managed to do something very original with it. Um, 
Well, I think that's the problem we were running into with the original townsfolk is that we had this group of kids that were going to this cult town and whatever, but we wanted to make it more like Wolf Creek. We wanted to make it very serious. And so although it worked, the more serious it was, they were taking it. They weren't like goofing around and having as much fun as say the kids in say Scream were, or the, you know, yeah. the kids in, uh, the kids in Cabin in the Woods. Um, because we were making it more almost like this is a real thing that happened. That's why we probably went more into thriller. And we also knew exactly like, even though we, the, the concept, there was some confusion about who, about like, Oh, it could be this person or it could be this person. Either way, we still knew it was one of, it was like one of these two or three options, right? right? Like who is causing all of these problems. So it's like, well, yeah, it's like there's no there's no mystery surrounding it. There's no confusion that's being in that sense around but it. But you know what we did well um, when we started to rewrite and we started to work from the same draft, but we started to play with it, was we created a bunch of red herrings. We made the guy who, um, Lila, who was the girl who was getting beaten on the side of the street by her boyfriend, she had, uh, what was his name? Daryl. And Daryl yeah. came back to town. And so then we thought, oh, Daryl is this guy who's out to kill these people because he basically wants vengeance for them embarrassing him on the side of the road and taking his girlfriend away and all that other stuff so then you're starting to think oh for a while oh it's daryl's the bad guy and then you start to realize it isn't daryl it's actually this whole family and the way we start to rewrite that was a lot a lot better because you were you were continually misled you know um and i think that we learned a lot of lessons playing with that because that was the biggest thing is like if at any point you've predicted the serial killer, you've predicted the bad guy, you've predicted the monster, and you know what it will do, no fear. Yeah. There's just no fear anymore. You're just like, okay, I know it's coming, no problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, one thing with the following, which uh, I know you haven't seen yet, but you you didn't know how it would come at you. You didn't really understand what it would do. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's weird because you could be waiting for days or whatever and it's and nothing happens. And then one day it's just there, you know? And so there's this, you know, the problem, I think the reason why it was so scary is you just don't know when it's coming. Right. And the other thing is, is like, uh, one thing that's established in the story is that no one else can see it. Only you can see it. So, but it's really there and, mm. and people could be affected by it, but it doesn't care about anybody else other than, the person it's after. Right. And it's interesting cause it's not like, you know, like I like, I like shows like the walking dead, you know, and I like that show because I find that, um, the, the, the zombies in my experience of like what I think would happen, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know. I just like the justification of how they do it. They only really walk at you, you know, but they can get very aggressive and they're trying to get you. And if they number up, it's becomes very scary. Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to some of these other zombie movies where they run at you and they're like these aggressive animals. Yeah. I find that the aggressive animal one is not as scary because it's kind of like, I don't know. It's just like, it, it, it just it, it kind of, it's, you know, it's like action overload. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, it's, it, that, that's an interesting thing. I mean, zombies, that's a whole, it, it's a, it's a whole sub genre unto yeah. itself because yeah, I, I remember reading an article about, uh, that because there was, there was some, some 
zombie films that had come out around this time and they were saying like, well, what's, what is like sort of the right way? I don't think there's really a right way to do it. Uh, I don't mind the fact that there were some films like 28 Days Later, I think was the one that oh, did yeah. the fast zombie but they did type a, of thing. You know what? You're right. They did and, a really great and job. And that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think, um, oh, Zack Snyder. He, he borrowed that for his remake of Dawn of the Dead. Mm. You know, he borrowed these fast-moving zombies. But Dawn of the Dead, zombies. to me, was not very scary. It was not very scary. It was, it was fun, though. Like, it was fun. I remember it was fun. I agree. It was fun. Um, and it had some jump scares, and, and it had, I, an, I don't, and it had jumps, an ending that kind jump of... Jump scares, to me, yeah. are weak, though. You know, like... They are. You can have jump scares, but if you don't have that creepiness going on... That's like, you know, there, it didn't have yeah. that creepiness to me. No, it only had jump scares. So it's like, oh, okay. You know, like I'm going to get a jump scare. You know, it's like, you can almost predict, of course you're going to get a jump scare. Cause I'm not scared. Right. But like when a movie keeps that sense of like the danger, that forebodingness, yeah. then you just, and you don't know when, like, that's one thing about the walking dead that I like, there's episodes and I'm not saying every episode's amazing or whatever, but there's a lot of good stuff, but there's moments where things literally surprise me. I find I'm like, yeah, cause sometimes there'll be situations where it, I think it's per director per episode. And I don't know which the best directors are, but where things feel really safe. And then all of a sudden something happens and you're like, Whoa, I didn't see that coming. Or things seem like there's something bad's going to happen and then nothing bad happens. Yeah. And that's a really great trick. Cause now you're playing with expectation, you know? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I mean, I love that show. There are times when I, I, I can't even, I can't even watch it. I'll put off watching it. <laughs> I'll just be like, no, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can d- deal with that right now. <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, um, to come, uh, sorry. Yeah. To come back, uh, to the point that I was, I was, uh, had started upon, <laughs> Yeah. Was that, yeah, there was this whole thing where it's like fast zombies versus slow zombies, right? right like, right. which is more, which is scarier. I don't think anyone can, is necessarily scarier than the other. I mean, yeah. it's all about how you build everything else around it. Uh, like, uh, Danny Boyle, who I think directed the first, um, 28 days later, did a fantastic job with that. Right. Um, but like George, I think, and I think it was George A. Romero is like, he, he loved the slow, like he was, you know, arguably like the godfather of zombie films. And he said, no, there's, there was always something to him that was scarier about the slow moving zombie or it's just like, uh, like, yeah, you can run away from it for now, but it's always coming for you. Yeah. And so I was like, I can see a fairness and, and the argument for the fast zombie was that there was something animalistic about it, something right. uncontrollable and, and fierce about it. Yeah. That was just like, man, like this thing can just take you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a fear in that as well, but you got to know with what you're working with. Like, so again, it was more of a thriller, but it almost was almost into the, into degrees of horror was the gray. I didn't see that one. Oh, Oh my God, <laughs> dude, you got to watch that. All right, all right. You load it up on Netflix that, that it's up there. Okay. That's a fantastic piece of, of just edge of your seat. Make you f- fucking uncomfortable, right. like awesomeness. Okay. Um, and it's got Liam Neeson in it. Right. <laughs> I, I didn't realize. Okay. I'm definitely putting that on my cue. <laughs> cue it. Cue it up. 
and uh, watch it. Just make sure you're in a good headspace for it because it's right. It's not. Uh, it's not a cheery stroll to the corner store. Let me tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, uh, I think you know. I think this is. Um, I think you're right. Definitely about the uh, the the slow zombie, fast zombie. That was. Um, that's something that you know. As you point that out, I'm like, yeah, no, it isn't about slow or or fast or whatever. It's 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 different depending on depending on the story, but it's the way in which the, it's the way in which the thing is done, you know? And I think like the thing that I'm, I've been learning as we've been going through this experience is that expectation and playing with expectation is so important. And, um, security for the audience is built on letting them think they know, and they can feel not scared during that moment, but they don't know. And then you can play with their expectation because, once you set up expectation, false expectation, then you can, you can trick them, right? Like, uh, you know, you think about all those movies with like twists and things like that. They've done so well at framing the movie in a certain way where you're looking at it one way until the twist comes. And the reason why the twist works so well is that you realize that you haven't been looking at information that's been present the whole time. Yeah. But you, but they framed it away from that. It's like a magic trick. It's done so And well. it doesn't even necessarily need to be within that genre. I mean, it's not like, as you were saying that, I just immediately went fight club. Like, yeah, one of the suspects. ultimate, ultimate yeah. twist movies where it was just like, oh my God, like, <laughs> well, he was, even, what? even the movie seven, you, yeah. you know, you don't, you don't even see things coming. You know what I mean? Like a lot of Brad Pitt love going on. <laughs> I do like the guy. Um, but no, but I mean, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a twist does not, is not, um, just to that genre, but I think, you know, also like, I, I don't know how much more you want to continue on with this, but I think like with, uh, um, just since this is our per- first podcast and all that, um, for the audience who is listening to this podcast, you know, I, horror is my least favorite genre <laughs> but yeah yeah but i i personally and i i i think you're along the same lines as this is i want to be able to write every genre well I, and i think that being a full and complete storyteller is about understanding everything definitely and i think that you know you might be you could be making a comedy or you can be making a drama or whatever there's always room to have maybe a little horror element and to create fear horror in the sense that you could create fear and to understand how to do that is one of those tools in your belt and i think that any storyteller that doesn't understand how to do that has one less ability right and it might be an ability you never use but hey you know i think if you really want to be a great storyteller it's one of those things to have and i that's what i've enjoyed about this process of writing a horror film is i mean i don't know if after this we'll ever write another horror film um you know, unless it does so well that our fans, yeah. <laughs> are like, please write another one. <laughs> but um, it's been definitely a great experience. Oh, absolutely! I mean, it, like uh, I can echo that sentiment. It's like I do not go to theater. Hell, I don't even really fire up horror films on at Netflix, like it's or or anything like that. It's not a genre that I particularly gravitate towards. However, I do understand why lots of people gravitate towards it. Like, mm-hmm. there is something that I do understand about that. And from having worked on it and and gone through it and and tried to, to create it myself, um, I, have a, I have a lot of respect for it. Yeah. There's, like, it's not... 
it's not just this mind, like certainly it, but it's like with anything within, within our, um, within our medium, you know, within the film medium, uh, anything can be just done in such a superficial way. Doesn't matter if you're, if you're writing like a, like a one hour TV drama, there's plenty of garbage out there in that, you know, right? right. That's just doesn't do anything, but there's plenty that also does it extraordinarily intelligently and, and in a provocative and engaging way. Same thing is true with horror. Like it's, it's not, it is as valid a genre as any. Yeah. And you know, I think like, uh, that's the thing is we started out, we started out, we didn't really necessarily each of us really respect horror the way we do now. And I think that that's what happened. I think you and I started to actually respect the genre more. And that's why we started to be like, no, let's make this script better. Instead of pumping out this thing that could just make us some money and, you know, whatever, and like entertain some people in the Midwest. And sorry if you're in the Midwest. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, actually, as you're saying, that's a, that's a really terrific point. I think you're a- actually bang on the nose. I think that when we first started it, we didn't respect the genre. No. We didn't respect it. We thought like, oh, well, we're, we're better than this and we'll, (laughs) and we'll write something. And then we came to the end of it and we went through reiteration after reiteration trying to be like, why the hell isn't this working? It's like, well, it's because you're not respecting the genre. Right. We weren't doing that. No. And now we're finally doing it and we're like, hey, we're actually writing a horror script now. Well, and you know what I can say is that I'm proud of what we've written. You know? Oh, me too. That's the thing is like, I think when initially when we wrote it, you know, we got to the end of it and we made this thing and, um, and you know, it's interesting because there was other people who were appreciating what we had written in a sense, but I think you and I, we kept having conversations about this, about how like there was something that we weren't achieving that we, you know, as, as storytellers. And I think that, you know, I, I said earlier, okay, well, horror is my least favorite genre. But when I say that, I just mean like compared to the five, compared to the, the drama and the comedy and the, and the action and the thriller. And then there's horror. I mean, really you break it down to five. They say there's five genres ultimately. Um, and they break off into their own subcategories yeah, and styles and whatnot. But when I, when I think of horror, it's not the one that like I'm personally drawn to. So like if someone like loves horror and they're like, uh, they're a big horror buff. All I can say is that in writing a horror film, I have a lot more respect for horror films. I actually, it's, it's like, you know, it takes time to write a script. And I think, well, I would, I would write horror films if there was an audience for it. And I felt like I could really deliver something valuable to people. It's just not, it's just not my first thought. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like when I first started writing though, I mean, that might change. I don't know who knows. Cause I remember when I first started writing, I loved comedy. Everything was comedy. Every script I ever wrote was funny. And then I got into drama. I started writing drama all the time. And now, uh, or actually for a while there, I went through, and you know, this is I went through crime thriller. I like am addicted to writing crime thriller. And now like I keep getting hired for all these jobs to write science fiction, like science, sci-fi action, whatever. And I find that like sci-fi action is another one of those is like, well, I'm not immediately drawn to it, but uh, you know, they're going to pay me the money to write it. So I said, well, you know, why not? Let's dabble into it. And I find if you go in and write it, it's like, if you really appreciate storytelling, which I I really do, um, 
you start to, you either start to respect it or you start to make it a paycheck. And I think for me, at the end of the day, the paycheck is just totally secondary to it all. And I think that's what we kind of experienced with the townsfolk is like, because we could have sold it. I mean, yeah. And we could have been done with it. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I think, I think it's a testament to the fact that we both really wanted to actually tell a really good story. And who knows? I mean, who knows that it'll even get made or whatever happens. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, you were there that year at AFM where Rob Reiner spoke. And he was like, just make films that you care about. Because at the end of the day, he's like, I don't know what will work, but at least you'll know you made films that were important to you. And I think that's a good thing to walk away with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it took him years to get, um, uh, spinal tap done. Totally. Man, that was insane. Yeah. And we also, uh, you know, who said the same thing to us at that AFM was, um, Weinstein. Uh Um, David Weinstein? Was that his name? Oh, uh, no, you mean the writer from, uh, the writer big, of, big, of China, big, big, big trouble in little China, Big trouble in little China. No, it's not Weinstein. It's, uh, I thought he was a Weinstein. I don't know. I thought he had a wine. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I wish we knew his name. I should Google it right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, he's all right. Uh, you just Google it. I'll keep talking. I wanted to add on to something that you were saying. Yeah, there we went too. To, um, we should tell that story on one of these talks. Yeah, definitely <laughs> <laughs> make note of it. Yeah. Um, no, there was, uh, you were, you were saying about just in terms of writing something that isn't something that you would gravitate towards. And, you know, it's, it, there's been so many, uh, uh, treasures I did not expect, uh, from, from writing mm-hmm. a, uh, a horror film. Right. You know, and again, like I'm, I'm with you in that, like, I don't know if I'll ever write another horror film again. Well, you're right. David, David Weinstein. David Weinstein. That's right. I you're got right. it. All right. <laughs> David Zed Weinstein. Yeah. He was a great, Weinstein, he was a great guy, man. Yeah. Great guy. Oh, that was great. Uh, and yeah. yeah. And he just said like, write what you love. Yeah. You know, write something that you would want to see. Um, that American film market was really, I think really good for us. I mean, because I think we came down there as writers who were just trying to sell a script and we left being people who writers who really respect his story because, yeah. you know, I think, um, you know, y- 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 when I think, cause we were pretty young. I mean, that was like, I mean, that was like five years ago, pretty much five. Yeah. 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 I think t- so five we were in entirely ago. different places, writers, you know, and I think, um, uh, we, at that point were just writers who just wanted to make money. And I think as you, as you really pursue this craft of screenwriting, you start to realize, well, making money is not the hard part. And I think that, you know, when you when you start out, it's assumed that, oh, I'll never sell a script. It's so hard to do. And, you know, if only I could make money at it. And the, the reason why, if you're, by the way, if you're on the other end of this and you're not making money as a screenwriter, um, you know, just contact me. Let's talk because you, you, that's the easy part. <laughs> the, the Making the money is not the hard part. The the actually telling a really great story that you're proud of and that you remain one of the writers on the final project, that is the part that really, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at your life, that's really what matters. And I think that, um, and I also think, you know, and I just want to say this cause I'm on this little tangent right now, yeah, yeah. but it's like you do a lot of work in the beginning that you don't really get recognized for, but if you stick with it, all of a sudden everything will just work one day. It's just like, it's almost like you kind of get to the point where like, for example, like the reason why I'll get hired a lot right now is because people know I can do a certain thing. And like, now that I can do that thing, I'm the 
and I, and I, and I always, you know, I always say yes. And I say no to the stuff I don't want to do, but there's a certain amount of like, they can count on me and I can write fast and I can deliver something that actually has value. And so I think like, you know, I just get calls and they say, Hey, we got a script. We need a, we need someone to write. We need someone to edit. We need someone to do whatever job. And they call me because, you know, I've made contacts with people that are doing stuff in the industry and yeah, you know, you're not going to know my name on some of these movies that are made right now, but this is just my beginning steps. I mean, as a writer, I look at it as like, I got a whole life ahead of me. If I continue on the path that I'm on, I mean, you know, pretty soon, you know, maybe it's 10 years down the road, but pretty soon, you know, my name will be the, the main person on a lot of these projects. And I, and the thing is, is like the money part is the easy part. It's, it's, it's being the guy that wrote a movie that everybody knows about. Like, you know, David Weinstein, yeah. you, know, you can say, well, you know, which by the way, it was, uh, if you're too young for this is big trouble in little China, Yeah, which apparently they're doing a remake yeah. of which, you know what? I don't care. This <laughs> is, care, but... is, is wrong. It is wrong that you, okay. they are remaking this classic. I just, I'm just saying this. I'm just saying this right now. Don't yell at them. But, but okay. But think about this. He wrote a movie that they want to remake. I mean that. Yeah, I mean, that's, like that success. Yeah. Right? Yeah. By, by the way, there's another writer on this. Yeah, no, Gary, I know there was two Gary, guys. Gary Goldman. So we we met David Weinstein. That's yeah. just why we're referring to him. But um, Gary Goldman and David Weinstein both wrote um, Big Trouble in Little China and are credited. So we don't want to let let. No, no, no. I, definitely guy. not. Definitely. We not. just run. We, we we hung out with David and we went for dinner with him and he gave us a lot of really amazing advice. There's actually one more credit. I don't know who it is. Let's see. Uh, W.D. Richer. Adaptation. Oh, he did the adaptation. Okay. I don't know. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, and, and it's, I, I want to get into something that it was just like, you know, nothing is ever wasted. No. You know, like uh, we were talking about our own, how many reiterations of, of the townsfolk that we went through, how many, how many months of time were, were spent developing storylines that we never ended up using, no. but nothing is ever wasted. No. You know, I, uh, you know, you're talking about the, the position that, that you're in right now in terms of, of being a go-to person now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that was from, that was from just cutting your teeth and doing it. Totally. Just doing it and, yeah. and learning from that, you know, it's, it's like, oh yeah, I've, I've written this, I've tried this, I've tried that. And I've tried to do it the best that I possibly can. Totally. You know, and, and that is so important. And, you know, like, like we said, like, we're not like horror is on both of, for both of us on the bottom of our list in terms of priorities or, or what we're the most interested in. However, I've learned so much from doing that. And I would encourage anybody who is, who gravitates towards a certain genre. So if you are a person who's on the opposite end of that spectrum and you, you want to write horror films as like just an experiment for yourself, write a comedy or sure. write a, yeah, write a drama, write something else right. and see what lessons you can pull from that because right. there's guaranteed lessons in that, that is going to enrich whatever genre you gravitate towards like even more. Right. That's a really good point. I think that's an amazing point. And I think that, you know, um, you know, my dad used to say to me when I was younger and I was in university and I said, you know, all I want to do is study filmmaking. That's all I want to do. 
I want to say filmmaking, I want to say acting. And he said, no, he's like, you know, you need to study some other things. He's like, and he kept pushing me to like, do this physics class, do this arts class, do this, you know, sociology, do criminology, do this. And I'm so grateful for that because all those lessons I learned from all those other classes, like especially the psychology classes I took, have served my ability to write and my ability to make films, my ability to act so much. And I think that when you, and, and he would always say like, you know, don't get too tunnel visioned. And I think like, if you love a certain genre, like, I mean, I would say, okay, I love crime thriller, for example, but if I only ever focused on crime thriller, and that's all I ever write, I'm kind of in that tunnel of, okay, I got to do a crime thriller. But when you write with other genres, and I think this is what you're kind of pointing to is that now I can bring horror into it. I could bring not horror, but I can bring fear into this criminal drama, you know, which maybe other criminal drama writers, yeah. or criminal thriller writers are not able to do. And that gives me a certain amount of more well-roundedness as a yeah. storyteller. Same with like, cause I'm writing sci-fi action right now. That's my, that's the big thing they keep paying me for. It's the big thing. And whatever. <laughs> and, and you know what? Sci-fi action. Right. So part of me goes, well, part of, okay. Part of, there's two things going on. One is I'm intimidated because I didn't read enough, like, I didn't feel like I read as many sci-fi novels as some of these other sci-fi guys, right? There's other sci-fi writers who, you know, they've just, like, referring to these books and these novels, and I haven't read them, and I'm like, wow, like, they have this vast knowledge. But I look and I go, why are they hiring me to write something on a sci-fi? The reason why is because I understand character, and I understand story, and I understand conflict in a way that most of these guys don't really understand. Yeah. So when I work with them, we bring something really cool together and they teach me and I teach them. So, yeah, I mean, cause right. I, at the end of the day, no matter what genre you're writing for, I mean, there is, there's a certain degree of, of which there there's, they all have things in common. Right. They all have things that they still need. Like it doesn't matter if you're writing uh, a horror or a comedy or a drama or a science fi- or science fiction drama or, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. You know, you need, you need a good plot. You need your dilemma, crisis, decision, action, resolution. You need great characters. You need all of those things for all of them. If right. you want them to be effective in, in saying something and in touching somebody. Right. So yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's fantastic if you have that knowledge, you know, like these books that you have not read, right? right. You know, there's like, it's always great to broaden your knowledge and, and to go and, and to read some of these things and, and to open up possibilities for you and, and grab onto new influence on yourself. But you should never deny or or necessarily question your own sensibilities, you know, because you have them, you have your own sensibilities in terms of what you understand from the genre and from what you understand of storytelling. And like you said, people are gravitating towards you. It's like, yeah, it's not really my genre, but I understand some of these things that maybe these guys who have read, you know, like, you know, or ladies, we don't discriminate here. (laughs) Like if it's like, yeah, you know, you may have read all these things, but maybe you don't understand what's effect. And you can see that in so many times when there's adaptations of books to movies or comics or graphic novels to right. movies or what have you, you see so many times where it's just like, there's, they've tried to do this thing and it just doesn't quite hit. It right. doesn't, it isn't effective. And it's like, well, yeah, it's like, cause you probably didn't understand that there are certain 
there are certain things that that you need to do in order for it to to translate. Mm. So while I'm thinking, um, we've gone we've gone for almost eighty minutes. Oh, oh my god! This uh, first podcast ever, and I think we really got into it. I think actually, yeah. you know, as we started a little this slow, is... but uh, but this podcast has actually ended up being pretty interesting, at least for me. So yeah, and, for and, and actually, kind of what our discussions end up uh, yeah. going into. So and I think you know, like I I relaxed a little bit as we got into it because I'm like, oh, we're being recorded. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, you know, whatever. But I was trying to relax. But like there was a period where I was watching us, and I was like, oh, we're really relaxed. We're just talking. Yeah, know, this is good. Yeah. Um, we don't even know what we're calling our podcast yet. No, but, um, but. anyway, this is, our, so this is our very first, and I figure, this is what I figure out, and I figure we should both leave, um, who's ever on the other side of this with like one thing that we both learned from this talk and maybe we can give them a lesson to walk away with and they can apply that if, uh, if they want or not. And, uh, then, you know, maybe subscribe because we'll probably get them to subscribe. So yep. subscribe to our yes, podcast. Yes, please. Please subscribe. <laughs> we don't even have a website yet, but we will when you probably watch this. So who knows? Um, and uh, yeah, let's just leave them with a lesson or something we learned. I don't know. All right. All right. Um, well, I'll go. Yeah. Um, and this is something that uh, I, I think I've touched upon in, in, in the past just for myself, obviously not with uh, with the audience, but um, uh, just, just the the importance that, that nothing creatively that you do is ever wasted. Mm. You know, anything that you do creatively is always going to serve you somehow. doesn't matter if, you know, uh, you've, you've written a whole script that will never be ever translated onto an actual screen it has served you somehow, right? You've learned, you will have learned something. It will enrich you and it's going to serve you going forward. And the next thing's just going to be better. So just trust in that. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I'm actually, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to just double up on what you said. I think that that's true. And I think that, you know, as someone who's getting hired and paid as a screenwriter, um, and I've been doing this for over 10 years, um, is that, you know, yeah, like some of the stuff that I've written has never even been made yet, but it's gotten me work. You know, just the fact that I have a finished screenplay to be able to show people, um, and, uh, you know, it's opened up doors for me. So, and, and the amount that we've learned working together, um, has been amazing. And I think that, you know, you know what, if I'm going to share anything, maybe something a little bit different is like, uh, and we talked about this about partnership. If you're going to partnership with someone as a writer, which I think, by the way, I think you should write your first script on your own. I don't think you should partner. I feel like it's a crutch. I feel like it's important that both people come to the table, just write a short, at least your own short, and then come to the table. And I think that, um, the reason why Evan and I work so well together and we've worked because I've written, co-written with many people and some have not been very successful at all, you know, but you and I, we do a couple things. Um, and we've cut our teeth on a lot of stuff. But we're willing to take feedback and be like, my writing is crappy today. Whatever I wrote today isn't working. Or um, we're, we're willing to just kind of like call each other out. But we're also always listening to each other. And we're open to each other's ideas. And I think when you begin to co-write, um, you need to do that. And I'll tell you one thing, as uh, just so you guys know this on the other side um, of 
as, as writers, if you want to be a screenwriter, is that being a partnership is actually a disadvantage for you if you want to get hired as a writer. And the reason why is if you think about from an agent's point of view, someone who wants to represent you, if you guys have a falling out, they've just lost their client. So um, don't make your writing career dependent on your partnership. One thing that is, um, is Evan writes his own scripts. I write my own scripts. We come together and we write scripts. So if we ever had a falling out, we're still writers. We could still be successful and have our own careers and whatever. You're planning on having a falling out with me, Brandon? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I might drink too much and then hit you one day. But, oh, just, that'll never happen. But. He's so angry. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, those are just some things to take with you. And I, I think yeah. nothing you write is ever wasted, as Evan said. And, you know, don't be dependent on partnerships um, in your writing. Um, and just try new things. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank people you. People for... out there. And uh, thank you to uh, 33 Acres Brewing, who has no affiliation with us whatsoever. <laughs> we love um, their beer. But we love their beer. Uh, until next time. Until next time. And uh, if there is a subscribe option or way to follow us or whatever, please do. And if there's any comments or things that you want to talk about with this blog, please share with us. We'd love to hear it. And um, if you have questions... We can talk about it in future blogs, so just let us know. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, have a good one. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.